Okay, so how many of you like to eat? I mean, not like that, but you like to eat. It's not a trick question. I, I like to eat too. Go, put them on. It'll be good for you if you just admit this. All right, yeah, I, I, like, I like to eat. Um, I like appetizers. I like desserts. I like sweet. I like salty. I like snacks. Um, white chocolate, dark chocolate, breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper, if that's your preferred term. I like it, which makes this message challenging. Um, actually, all of these messages have been challenging. I don't know who decided this was a good series to do. Um, gluttony, another great word, right? gluttony. Um, is it where we try not to talk about a lot? Uh, maybe because we're guilty a lot? Of this one, it's also the one in the seven, maybe, that it's the easiest to excuse in ourselves, or we look at and we think it's not that big a deal. Um, yes, I had the extra piece of cheesecake again. I feel a little miserable after eating. I just wanted a, a little snack before bed. And we, all of these little things we say, and we think, well, it's not that big. Certainly compared to last week. Like, it's not big like last week was big. This week, not so big. And, and I, I don't know that an extra piece of cheesecake every once in a while is like big, crazy, awful thing. But I do know how the Bible talks about this word. So let me give you a couple examples. This is Proverbs. A lot of our teaching will come from the book of Proverbs today. This is Proverbs 28, verse 7. A discerning person heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. Uh, so good is to be discerning, which means some self-control, some boundaries, some parameters, good side, glutton, bad side, disgraces uh, your parents. And, and, and the proverb writer says, don't hang out with those people. Don't be a companion of that type of person, which obviously also means don't be that type of person either. Don't hang out with them. Don't be that type of person. Over in the New Testament, Paul is writing to a pastor by the name of Titus, and uh, Titus is a pastor in a city called Crete, and Paul is warning him about specific people, a, a specific group of people who are in Crete, and Paul writes, one of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. So gluttony, lazy gluttons, gluttony is portrayed in the Bible as something to confront. Paul says rebuke, stay away from, get it out of your life, don't let it get into your life. If this is your first uh, Sunday with us, we've been in a series called The Seven Deadly Sins, and we've been remarking how these sins really come from the inside and they motivate us to do certain things. And so if we can get, if we can, if we can get control of them as a desire before they turn into actions, then we can have victory over 
uh, these sins uh, in Jesus. So the Bible says this is, this is a, a one you need to get out of your life, one you, you need to get rid of. So what is it? That's a little bit harder. How do we define? How, how do we want to jump into that particular topic? Let's talk about what it's, what it's not. What, what is an insufficient definition? And then we'll talk about how, how to cover the subject of gluttony. For example, gluttony is not primarily being overweight. It's not simply... Uh, it's not simply a measure of what the scale says. And sometimes we think of gluttony in that way because our, our typical reaction to gluttony is it's about food and too much food. Um, but let's just be honest. There are a lot of variables that go into body type. There are a lot of variables uh, that go into genetics, to what makes you you, to BMI index. I'm not saying those aren't important. Uh, I'm not saying we, sh- we shouldn't keep up with that sort of thing. I'm just saying we're not fully in control of all of that. And, and let's say at the same time that if you're one of those people who like won the genetic lottery and like your metabolism is super fast and you eat anything you want and it never shows up on you, we hate you. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't be guilty of gluttony, right? Excuse me. That, that doesn't mean that this is not a problem for you. Just because you were fortunate enough through DNA and parents and genetic streamline that it, it doesn't show up physically on you, it, it doesn't mean that you're not guilty or susceptible to uh, this particular deadly sin. So it doesn't just mean that. Our, our bodies take all, ty- all types of different sizes. I, I, I tell people I'm not overweight, I'm under tall, right? Like if I had just been taller, then everything would stretch out. I appreciate that. I heard that amen over there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you didn't pick your body, you didn't pick your genetic makeup. So it's, it, it, it's not thorough to say this is the only thing that it means. At the same time, Gluttony is not simply a matter of excess or overconsumption. Now, that's not incorrect. Uh, a part of gluttony is excess, overconsumption, too much. One of the words in the Bible that gets translated in English as gluttony means loose discipline or morals. Uh, it, it can mean to shake, like when the wind blows, or to quake. A lot of us have furniture on our back porch or our back deck, and if there's a storm coming in, we got to bring it inside, or we got to tie it down, or we got to put it in the garage, we got to do something, because it's not going to be stable. It's not going to be tied down, and after the storm, it's going to be all over the yard, or it's going to break windows, and so we have to move it. Or we've been to the beach, and we set up the the canopy tent, or or we set up the umbrella, and then late in the day the wind picks up and it's blowing down the beach, and we're running, we're running after it because those aren't secured; they're not tied down. They they don't have a foundation. They they don't have parameters and boundaries that are holding it in place. This is the term that's used often for gluttony in the Bible. A lack of boundary, a a lack of parameter. And when we push over the boundary, when we push to excess, 
to overconsumption, the Bible says that is uh, gluttony. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis defines temperance as going the right length and no further. Temperance, and it can apply to any area of our life. Going the right length and no further. Knowing where the parameters are. Knowing where the boundaries, the borders of any activity I engage in should be. God, when He created the world, gave us lots of good things to enjoy. Right right in the garden. He says to Adam and Eve, eat up. Look, here's a couple of parameters. Here's some boundaries. But, but this is for you. This, this is to bring some pleasure to you. This is to provide nourishment to you. Go eat. Go enjoy. Throughout the Old Testament, if you read it, God gives His people feasts or parties or celebrations throughout the year. And He says, look, at these times, I, I want you to celebrate. I eat up. Enjoy. This is good things for you. And it's not just food. It's in a lot of different areas of our lives. Here are good gifts, but then God also says, you will best enjoy that good gift within this parameter, within this boundary. We talked about boundaries a little bit last week. You will, you will get the most pleasure and joy and meaning and fulfillment when you enjoy this good gift within these parameters. Gluttony is saying, no, I'm going to press beyond that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to desire more from one of the good gifts. It's one of the challenging aspects of talking about gluttony because for the most part, we're not talking about bad things. This is not a bad thing that you should avoid your whole life. This is a good thing that practiced in the right way, enjoyed in the right way, enjoyed with the right parameters will bring great Joy and pleasure to your life unless you step over the boundary, unless you step over, over the borders. Now, as I said, that's not an incorrect way to think about gluttony. It is excess and overconsumption, but as I'm, as I'm thinking about it this way, my question becomes, what, what pushes us over the border? Like, why... Why do we engage in this excess? Where's the why behind the reason I'm over the board? And here's what I've come up with. It's a little confusing. I'll explain it, I promise. Gluttony is the desire to use an item, person, or an activity to fulfill a need or a pleasure beyond what that item, person, or activity was created to fulfill. I told you it was confusing. I'm going to help us understand it. Gluttony is when I look at a good gift from God, something that is intended to bring pleasure, joy, fulfillment, and I demand more pleasure or I demand more meaning than that thing was intended to give me. Since food is our, uh, what we generally think of when it comes to gluttony, let's Let's use that when food's given to nourish us, to, to keep us alive, to provide what our body needs. I, I think it's given to us to provide some measure of pleasure in the tasting and in, and in the eating. It, it's given to us, I think we can make a good case in the Bible, to be something that brings people together. We share meals together. We, we form friendships 
around me. So there's all of this goodness, but when I demand that food begin to meet emotional needs, then I'm asking something of it that it wasn't created to do. When I demand that food become an escape for me, or that it, that it help me when I'm down, or when I'm discouraged, or when I'm depressed, or when I'm alone, or any number of emotional needs that I have, when I look at God's good gift of food and say, but I need that to fill this void in my life, I've asked it to do something it's not created to do. And I think that is the root desire of gluttony. It's this desire to fill places of myself with things that can never, that can never fill it. So my comfort, my identity, my validation, my therapy becomes this thing. And just like it could be food, it could be the opposite as well. Uh, it, 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 it could be diet. It could be exercise. Um, we, you probably know people. You probably know somebody who knows somebody. And there is this obsession, this focus with, i got to lose one more pound. i got to get a little more off. I've got to exercise a little bit harder. And all of those are good things, like being the right weight, being in good shape. Being healthy, having goals, challenging yourself. All of those are good things unless it starts to step over the line of this is now how I identify myself. This is now how I feel that I'm valuable, feel that I'm worth something, feel that I've accomplished something. It, It could be both ends of the food of the food spectrum. It happens with food. It happens with alcohol. Often, the people look at a bottle and demand that it validate them, demand that it comfort them, demand that it make them forget, make them escape. And obviously, the danger there. I I may have said this before. I heard someone say a, a while back, um, you can try to drown all your sorrows, and what you'll find is they can all swim. Like they'll all float right up to the, and they'll bring friends when they get to the surface. People demand of food, they demand of alcohol, emotional comfort that those things can never give us, ever. It happens with pharmaceuticals. Drugs. Um, I, I am grateful that God gives doctors and scientists and researchers knowledge and wisdom as to how to put this plan and this mineral and this whatever else they put in that little thing. I don't care what's in there. I just want my headache to go away, right? I'm glad that when my head hurts, I can take something and it'll start to go away. Or when my muscles hurt, I can take something, it will get better. Or when I'm sick, there's something I can take. Or vaccines that'll keep me from getting sick. All of this wonderful reason. I am so happy about that, right? And yet, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a scientist. All the disclaimers. I'm just an observer. My observation is we are a heavily medicated society these days. Heavily medicated. Again, I'm I'm pro-medicine. Don't misunderstand me. 
Like I, I am happy that like if your genetic wiring makes you susceptible to high blood pressure, there's something you can take and it, it could extend your life. Or if, if you're genetically predisposed to high cholesterol, that, there's something you can take and it could extend your life. I, that is fantastic. I am not against, we're not one of those weird cults that tells you not to go to the doctor, okay? That's not, I'm pro-medicine. I know some people who need to be medicated that... Some that aren't, that I wish they'd get on it, but that's a whole different subject. I am pro-medicine, but just as an observer, I think there are cases where people begin to depend on that for things that that can't do. Lower your blood pressure, yes. Lower your cholesterol, fantastic. Give rid of your headache, fantastic. Soothe you, comfort you. Help you escape. Validate you. There's a reason that the phrase, the opioid epidemic, is a thing in our culture. There's a reason that that is an actual phrase that is used a lot right now. The opioid epidemic is because I think primarily... That more and more people are trying to depend on, ask of medication, pharmaceuticals, what medication and pharmaceuticals cannot do. And we could get distracted with illegal substances. There's plenty of legal substances that people are turning to for their own comfort, for their own emotional needs, for their own validation. And hear me, I, this... I am not anti your vitamin or your supplement or your shake or your oil or your tree branch or like whatever your thing is. That's great. That's awesome. Be healthy. Be knowledgeable. Do research. That's fantastic. I'm just saying there's, there's like this dependence in so many places in our society on this thing and that thing and And maybe we're asking all of those things to fill places of our heart that they just can't fill. We do this with relationships. We do this when we're dating. We do this when we're married sometimes. We expect another person to fill up places in our heart that they are incapable of filling up. You are supposed to make me happy. You are supposed to make me feel valued. You are supposed to make me feel worthy. And and look, marriage and relationships are great. Like there's one, it's a wonderful gift from God. And as husbands and wives complement each other and share life together and build each other and serve each other in the way that we're taught in the New Testament. As Jesus served us, we should serve our spouse. All of that, beautiful. I just think for some people, there are empty spots in their heart and they're trying to get somebody else to fill it when that person is not capable of doing that. No matter how much they tell you you're awesome, no matter how much they try to be there for you, no matter how much they say, they cannot fill up every need of your heart. It explains why some people jump from relationship to relationship to marriage to marriage to marriage 
because they've convinced themselves, what I need in here can be found out there in somebody else. And so they put this demand on other people to fill that part of their life. Kids were not intended to fill the adult needs of our hearts. They were not meant to validate us as great people or even great parents. They are not capable of doing that. And I love my kids. I wouldn't trade my kids for anything most days, right? I I wouldn't. But my kids cannot bear the weight of my need for validation. They're not created to do that. They're a good gift. I'm to steward this role in their life, but they can't fill up my emotional tank because that's not what they're created for. Goals, work, career, and all of those are good things. Again, we're not talking good versus evil. These are all good things that in the proper parameters, with the proper understanding of how this adds to our life and what this is for in our life, they're wonderful things until we step across the boundary of, I need you to fill something in me that you are not capable of filling. We we do this with social media, not only to excess, overconsumption, But with a need for likes and shares and look at me and like my selfie. There is this please fill fill something up on the inside. It's not capable. It's funny. I'm standing in the hallway in between services. And people kept coming up saying you forgot one. You forgot one. You forgot one. You didn't mention this. You forgot. Like we could go on. Like this is a long list of things that we turn to for validation, for worth, to say, I'm loved, I'm accepted, and none of those things can fill our hearts. None of those things can fill us up. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters argues that one of those things is what he calls delicacy. And what he means by that is, having to have things a certain way. Like developing this this refined taste for everything, and unless it's exactly the way I like it, then it's not good enough. Exactly the coffee I like, exactly the restaurant I like. I only wear clothes from here. I would never drive a car from... Lewis argues the enemy can kind of slip... Subtle gluttony under the radar because we look at it as, well, I just want the best. Well, I just want what's excellent. And Lewis says that can become a hunger all its own. Listen, there's a long, long list of things that we turn to to try to fill up places in our heart. And those things were not created to do that. Now, here's the danger. Here's why you and I have to deal with this on the inside. It's because whatever that desire is, and based on our past, based based on our experiences, based on how we were raised, what we did or didn't get from our parents, what we experienced in, in adolescence, based on all of that, all of us have some of those places. All of us have some of those places. We may not admit it. 
The danger is that someone or something is always going to offer to fill those. Like someone or something in the world is always going to say, hey, I could fix that for you if you will. Hey, this thing would fix that for you. Hey, this goal, this career, this bottle, this food, this person, this drug, it would fix that. There's always going to be someone who steps into that gap. There's always going to be a counterfeit that offers to fill the void, and that counterfeit will always come with a price. That's the backside. There'll always come a moment where we realize it, it didn't work. And now I'm way down the path of this thing. There's a proverb, I've shared it with you before, at least a, the, a couple of verses from Proverbs 23. It's the most in-your-face verse about gluttony in the Bible. This is Proverbs 23, verses 1 and 2. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony, which is a little drastic, right? That's kind of crazy. I think what he's saying is there are going to be times in all of our lives when we're in a situation and we're promised good things. And, and the person making the promise sounds like they could deliver it. It's the ruler. It's the king. Like if anybody could give us all the good things, all the good food, this guy could. You and I are going to find ourselves sometimes in situations where we're promised the world or we're promised that that thing's going to get filled or we're promised that thing's going to get fixed or we're going to be validated or we're going to feel worthy or we're going to feel loved. This is going to fix it. The problem is it's a setup. This is verse 3. Do not crave his delicacies. Like when you're in that moment and you see that good thing right in front of you, be careful. Do not crave his delicacies for that food is deceptive. Like he's playing you. Like this is a setup. Like there's a price to pay. If you don't control these urges and desires, Within you. Somebody's going to step in the void. Somebody's going to say, I can fix that. I can give you what you want. I can make it all better. The proverb writer says, you better control yourself at that point. Put a knife to your throat, right? Figuratively, you better take drastic measures to pull back from the edge because you're getting set up. And you're going to be more empty and more broken at the end of this than you were at the beginning. Show some restraint. Show some wisdom. Show some discipline. If you're a parent, it's one of our biggest fears for our kids, I think. In this sense. We, we, we know, regardless of how old your kids are, you can try to deny it when they're, when they're little. But we know eventually they're going to pull out of the driveway without us. And they're going to be at a party without. They're going to be at this thing. They're going to be at their friend's house without us. There's going to be a moment when the ruler, the friend, the person says, Hey, you could, you could be in our group. Like, you could be one of us. Like, you could be accepted. You could be loved. You could be validated. You could be popular. You could be fill in the blank 
We could give it all to you. And we know because we're their parents. We know it's a setup. And one of our big fears, one of our ongoing prayers is, God, give them wisdom in that moment to know that there's a price to pay if they eat that food. There's a price to pay if they step over that line. But it's not just our kids. It's not just teenagers. It's not just college students. It's all of us. We all have those moments where somebody offers us the world. Somebody offers us the perfect relationship. Get out of that one you're in. This is going to be so much better. Somebody offers us emotional comfort, stability, validation. They really see me. They really love me. Proverbs writer says, be careful. That food is deceptive. What they're offering can't fill that spot in your heart. And the reality is only God can fill some of those spots. And I don't know, I don't know how much you believe the God story. I, I don't know if you've trusted Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're trying to figure it out. I, I'm just telling you, your creator made you And there are parts of your heart, parts of your validation, your identity, that until it rests in Him and His Son Jesus is never going to be fully filled. I mean, the, the fact that the Creator of this universe created you specifically, knit you together, the Bible says, knows you, knows your name, knows the number of hairs on your head, how many there used to be, whatever. Like he knows you. And he loves you. My son, you're my daughter. And validated you with the life of his son. That Jesus came into this world. He found you worthy, valuable enough, loved enough that he would come into this world, live a perfect life, go to the cross, die for you and rise again. That's what he thinks of us. Our identity, like our validation is not in something out there. There's not somebody going to show up one day in our life and make us feel magically loved and validated and worthy. God has already done this for us. God has already said, you are my child. I gave everything for you. I love you so much that I sent my son for you. And you can spend your whole life searching to find that somewhere in the world, and you're just not going to find it. God gives us good gifts. God gives us gifts that will bring joy and pleasure and, and some fulfillment and meaning into our life. But nothing out there fills up the empty space in here other than the one that created us. The psalmist wrote, as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Like everything I need is in you, God. Like all of the resources I need, everything that my soul, all my fountains, all of my resources, God, God it flows out of you. To get to this point, 
to deal with some of those places, especially where there are scars and there's history and there's, there's brokenness. It, it may take some time for some of us with a, with a good Christian counselor to just sit down and, and talk through some things and unravel why I keep looking to fill up my heart with stuff out there. For all of us, it, it, it would take some self-discipline. It would, it would take us drawing some parameters and saying, I, I can go this far and no further. This gift was meant to be enjoyed within these parameters, and I can't step over it and expect that gift to do more than what it is supposed to do. But I, I would say it, it's also going to take worship, and, I, and that may not be what you were expecting, and it may not even make sense. But by worship, I mean getting to the place where I can acknowledge, God, you're first, and God, you're enough. God, you're first, and you're enough. Right? There's, I'm not just talking about singing. There are acts of worship, and those are great, but there's an attitude of worship. And if you do the acts of worship without the attitude of worship, it's not really worship, and, and that's the attitude. God, you're first. God, you're above everything, and you're enough. You're enough to fill my heart, to fill those empty places. You're enough validation on my life. Jesus Christ is enough identity and worth and love in my life. God, you are enough. All my fountains are in you. I trust that you made me, you created me with a purpose, and you redeemed me through Jesus. Everything I need is in you. Another place in the Psalms, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. This is what God is able to do. He's able to satisfy that part of us that keeps running other places looking for satisfaction. You satisfy the desires of every living creature. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 58, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. That filling, that sustenance from the inside that can only come from our Creator. That's what God wants for you. That's how He created you. And He wants us. To stop running after other things. And maybe this morning we just, we need to come back and acknowledge, God, you're enough. God, your will, your way, who you are is enough in me. The band's going to come and they're, they're going to sing in just a minute. It's going to be a new song. Some, most of you aren't going to know this song, so... We're not going to ask you to stand. We're not going to ask you to sing. We just want you to hear these words. That your God is good. And that out of Him flows everything that you need. So whatever you're running after, whatever you're trying to grasp, leave it here today. And be reminded of the deep well of resources that Jesus is for you. God, all of, all of us have those broken places in our lives. All of us have that emptiness. All of us have those voids and, 
Some of it's just by way of nature. Some of it's our experiences, our past, our relationship or lack of relationship with people in our past. And all of us go through times when we're tempted to try to fill that up with things other than you. And we're always going to end up disappointed. And there's always going to be a price. Because at the end of the relationship that didn't work out, there's going to be a price. And at the end of the next relationship that didn't work out, there's going to be a price. And I'm going to be just as empty. At the end of self-medicating, at the end of binge-watching another Netflix series to try to escape, at the, at the end of drinking more, still going to be empty so God help us not to turn to the things of this world to fill our soul but help us to come to Jesus help us to believe that he lived and died and rose again and loves us and that in him all the fountains of our life can be found I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.